Hello, everybody. This is Coach Aaron Saft and the Running is Life podcast. Today, I have um, Peter Defty of Vespa Nutrition. And uh, Peter is uh, kind of the brains and operations <laughs> um, of Vespa. Um, I had a number of questions come in after um, I did my recap for Badger 100, um, and quite a few of them um, were about Vespa. And I, I really, you know, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I don't know, you know, the, the kind of the impetus or the reasoning um, Vespa works, uh, you know, and I tried to kind of take a dive with, with Peter. And it sounds like, you know, from this conversation, it's a combination of things. Uh, we'll kind of recap those at the uh, the end um, after my conversation with Peter. Um, but I wanted to give you a little background of what Vespa was. Um, <clears throat> he does give us a discount code, running his life 20, all lowercase, um, and the number 20, running his life and the number 20. Um, I'll put that in the show notes for 20% off Vespa because it is, it's pricey. I think a 12 pack runs about a hundred bucks. Um, but, um, you know, as, as I kind of attest, it's, uh, it worked. <laughs> I didn't need as many calories. I never felt like I was going to bonk. I just had this consistent energy ride. So wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit more about Vespa. So why are, where else to get it from this, then from the source. So, um, I want to introduce you to Peter Defty. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you have further com- you know, questions or comments, you can reach out to Peter um, through his, his website, and I'll put all that in the show notes. So enjoy this conversation, and I'll talk to you afterwards. My guest today is Peter Defty of Vespa. And um, Peter, I, I want you to start with uh, about you just in general, not even about Vespa. Just tell us about Peter. <laughs> You don't want to know about Peter. Peter <laughs> Peter's one of these guys that is a thinks a little differently and and is kind of like uh, a dog that won't let go of a bone. And I've been chasing <laughs> this thing for twenty three years now. Um, I think relevant to the audience is sort of the journey I've been on with with this whole thing with Vespa, um, and it started with my first marathon back in two thousand. Okay. And I didn't do any fancy diets or anything, you know, out of the ordinary. My mom, my mom is Japanese and she always came from a very uh, fresh food, whole food thing. So I remember her um, hand picking out fruits and vegetables at Andy's produce market. She went, you know, went to the produce market to get the produce and we got fresh meat and we we hunted as children and my dad hunted and we grew our own animals. So we, we ate a whole foods diet most of the time. So a treat for us was processed foods. <laughs> this was in the sixties and seventies. Okay. And so where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Palo Alto, California. Okay. And we, when we were five or six, when I was five or six, we moved from that Menlo park palo alto area and on the peninsula up to a place called healdsburg in northern california north of santa rosa and sonoma county it was at that time it was a very rural small town setting of prune and grape growers it was a wine country and it was we moved up there right before um the famous tasting in paris which put napa and sonoma county on the map and so I saw that whole wine thing grow from its inception of just being a tiny little thing that was 
relatively obscure to what it's now. I mean, they now call Hillsburg Beverly Hills, Beverly Hillsburg, because it's become <laughs> very kind of high end. It's almost it's scary for me because I, I my childhood memories of of a very bucolic small town existence, and now it's it's something very different. Um, <clears throat> so that's where I grew up. But um, fast forward to like my approaching with when my um when i was approaching 40 i kind of figured this is the halfway point so i wanted to kind of like get back in shape and i ran i ran cross country and track in in high school and i was good but not really very good because i just didn't have i had some self-esteem issues i'll be honest about that and never was as good as i probably could have been uh, but i always kind of ran and i was good at running and I did uh, a lot of hunting and hiking and stuff like that. Those were things I liked doing. But um, fast forward to this, you know, approaching this, what I was considering the halfway point. And, you know, you get that little punch and you kind of get out of shape and you kind of, I kind of like, yeah, I kind of don't want the the other half of life to be, um, you know, decrepit. Like I was seeing, you know, my dad was having a lot of health issues because, um, frankly he didn't take care of himself he drank too much he smoked too much and he was sedentary and he he also flew international flights um with pan america and then finished out with united so you also had the circadian rhythm disruption and he just you know treated it with alcohol and cigarettes (laughs) you know very typical of that era of a pilot and so you know you see that going on it's like now you question that it's like okay I can do better. And so I, I started running, joined the local uh, club in Davis and started running. And it was kind of funny because a lot of people said, oh yeah, you're going to have knee and hip problems years later. And they're the ones that had those issues. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like rolling along, but um, I trained for my first marathon, ran cross country with the club and did club activities, started running longer. And, and so I decided to train for my first marathon and just, what happened was I trained for my first marathon, just eating the way I normally ate, which included plenty of protein, plenty of fat and some carbs. Um, and, but, but before the marathon, I did the the carb loading thing, did whatever, you know, did what you're supposed to do. And I was well-trained and I, I was really trained up to my numbers. Everything was, had me pegged to do a sub three hour marathon. And I was on track till about mile 18 and then, you know, dashboard <laughs> lights started coming on and, and mile 20, you know, 22, it was like, start to be ship systems shut down, you know, the numbness in the upper body the tunnel vision of course. and I, and then sh- the shuffle. And I knew that if I stopped, it would be over. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, sh- I, I actually shuffled into a, my first marathon. I got a Boston qualifier, but it was like a 314 marathon. Okay. And it, you know, it should have been a sub three hour. I was like on sub three hour pace right through mile 17, 18. And then, you know, the wheels came off and I I struggled in, but I was like, it was just like, wait a second, this is like, this does this carb loading doesn't work. So I started to just because I have a biology degree from UC Davis and I'm kind of a curious person. I started to think about this from a biological standpoint and say, you know, this, you know, this doesn't make sense. This whole idea of that you have a limited amount of glycogen and that's all you're supposed to be using. 
And so I started doing more, more protein, more fat. I didn't eliminate the carbs per se, but I wasn't like just piling on naked carbs. Right. Right. Because of the hormonal shift. And so I ran three, three, two or three marathons after that, just, just ran them. And I just ran through them without any trouble. I'm like, wow, there's got to be something to this because, you know, and I trusted my experience and instinct because, you know, this is something that's important for the audience to know is when your metabolism is operating the way it should, your own experience is your strongest feedback mechanism, not the Garmin, not the glucose monitor, not all these, this, this technology. We have uh, an intuitive sense of ourselves is, that has evolved with human evolution. That's that whole own innate um, feedback loop of our experience when things are operating as they should. Now, when they're, when you're in a carb dependent state, that's a debauch kinesthesiology. So that feedback loop is corrupted. And this is why people feel like, oh, I got to have carbs. But it's it's because the physio- the base physiology is corrupted because, you know, the, the, the premise I operate under is pretty simple and biologically sound. And that is humans. The reason we store a lot of fat is because that's what humans are meant to use aerobically. And glycogen, glucose are fight or flight energy source they're both a fight or flight energy source and they're also a bridge energy source so when you transition from one energy demand state to another like when you start out uh physical activity that's a where glucose will bridge that gap and then it's also for fight or flight when you're doing super high level work or or going into those anaerobic pushes that's when glucose matters so we have robust stores of both the problem is is by by piling more carbs on top of more carbs of course we need insulin that's very well known right um you need insulin to drive that glucose into your cells to convert to energy well as you do that you raise your insulin your basal insulin levels up and then that suppresses fat oxidation and it suppresses fat metabolism which is even more complicated i don't want to lose people but there's also another glucose path via fat through your liver. Your liver will produce glucose, significant glucose when you're metabolically fit from fat, liver fat. Um, and that's something people don't even talk about because in the paradigm that we have of high carbs, that doesn't happen because the insulin is basically the hormonal switch that keeps that gluconeogen- that hepatic gluconeogenesis t- um, turned off. So anyway... That's that that was my story. So I became open to this whole uh thing about adaptation, started playing with it, and then I got involved with trail running through our club. We went on a trail run, and that was my first exposure to trail running. And and I'm like, oh, I really like this because it reminded me of hunting, which I did all my life. Um, and it's it just involves running around trails all day, um, hunt chasing game. And so I really fell into that because that just seemed so natural and in tune. I didn't give up road running at all because as you know, track and road work is really good for pacing for trail running, right? Ultra doing ultra uh, competitive thing. So I got into that and started working with a couple of people, friends of mine who were, who were having issues and they were vegetarian or not eating red meat. And we started 
you know, working with that and then the, the paleo diet, um, came out about that time. And, and I read the paper and, and, and looked at it and it was interesting because it, it kind of recommended fruits, fruits in there for the glucose you needed. And I'm like, yeah, you don't really need that as much as you think I'm not, and I'm not anti-fruit. I'm not anti-plant-based, but, but your body, like I said, your body does not need carbohydrates like as an absolute survival, you know, you don't need the glucose. There was that, that was the big flaw in Lauren Cordain's work is he, he was recommending fruits um, to get the sugar to maintain the glucose. Cause he, like I was just saying earlier, that hepatic liver-based gluconeogenesis wasn't, isn't talked about. It's, it's being talked about now, but it's only being talked about in the context of what's what is late stage type two diabetes development, because that's when everything goes awry and you can't turn your liver off. Your liver starts making glucose. That's why you see so many type two diabetics that they can't get their blood sugar down, even though they're not eating any carbs or sugar, but that's a system that's gone, gone bad because of prolonged exposure. And I, once again, I don't want to get off on that rabbit hole, but anyway, it's, it's just, it's all about metabolic fitness. So my, my story is that, I was doing this, teaching people and just kind of, it was kind of a side thing, right? Mm -hmm. it was what, and I, what I was doing is running and um, I was coaching people for Western States and pacing them and, and uh, doing a lot of stuff in the early 2000s around Western States. And then uh, my friend Ling Ru said to me one time, she said, Peter, you need a new belt buckle. Because I, I I had this belt buckle I was given when I was four years old. And it was a Western belt buckle. It was a small one with a horse on it. It was, you know, in the family. And I got this little belt buckle. And I always wore that belt buckle. And and my friend Ling Ru, who ran Western States, says, you need to get a new belt buckle. And, and you know, <laughs> that was the influence. That was the in, the inference was you need to run Western States. <laughs> so I, I put in for the lottery on in 2005 and got drawn in the lottery in December for 2006 and proceeded to train for western states and a month out they had the western states training runs you know a memorial day yes. training runs at that time it was a camp out you could camp out you could go up and camp at the junior high in forest hill and we were sitting around on saturday or sunday afternoon and my friend paul charter is paleo paul um <laughs> Who, who who started the Tarawira Ultras, he tossed me a couple of pouches of Vespa and says, hey, try these. My friend Mojo swears by them. It was a couple of pouches of Vespa. So I looked, I, I flipped it over and read about it. And on the back, it talked about fat burning. So because I was already open to the concept, I was open to it. And this is a big problem for most people because when you flip over a pouch of Vespa and see it has 19 calories, you're like, I see it with people. They just tune out because <laughs> they can't figure out what this expensive pouch of liquid is going to do if it only has 19 calories. Right. I didn't even, that didn't phase me. I'm like, Oh, this is a catalyst that helps you burn fat. And so I, I started using it immediately and it, it seemed to work really well. I ran Western States into on 2006 and that was the hottest year on the record of the race. Uh, it was when, you know, it was the year that, in the modern history of the race, it had the lowest finish rate, 50, 52%, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, if you looked at the times, like the top 10 wouldn't make it in the top 30 today. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, it was carnage. 
Right. Yeah. All right. So, and, um, you know, having that capacity to, um, use your, your, your fat stores, um, I'm sure that, you know, was, was uh, so exponentially beneficial, just, you know, uh, absolutely. It got up to 115 or 118. They said at Miller's defeat and I was running mm-hmm. in the heat of the day. Mm-hmm. I had no trouble. I mean, I didn't take as much Vespa as I would, would have now mm-hmm. took like five or six pouches, you know, and I had my ups and downs cause I was only, I was limiting it, but I had a good run. I sub 24. I was, nice. you know, 25 minutes behind 24 hours at Forest Hill. I was 25 minutes up, up on the 24 hour at the river. I was 35 at highway 49 and I was 45 at no hands. And I only had one person pass me on the climb up to Roby between Forest Hill and the finish. Only one person passed me, Eric Doobie. I was passing people like crazy on Calvary. It was just carnage. And I, I didn't have any troubles, no stomach issues, no hydration issues. It was just, it was hotter than heck. And I was just, I just kept moving. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like, how did you use Vespa and how did you use any other fuel source? Well, I used Vespa, picked off the aid stations, probably had a few gels. I mean, at that point, I mean, I think about at that point when I was just one month into to using Vespa and mm-hmm. how much I didn't know and compared to where I am today, you know, I've sure. gotten a lot of experience working with, not just with myself, but working with several athletes, including you. Um, so it was, I would have used it every two hours had I known better. Um, I used it probably every four hours or five hours. It only took like five or six pouches to run sub 24. So um I would have taken it more often, but I, you know, that would, it probably saved me in a lot of ways because I had no stomach issues, you know, and, and that kind of heat, that's, that's almost a given. I did manage to keep myself cold. I had like a, my crew always had a bucket of cold ice water ready mm-hmm. during the heat of the day yeah. and a, and an ice cold Coke. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was like my, and you know, so I just, I just managed myself well and, and finished sub 24. That was my very first hundred miler and i'm like awesome. wow and then that got me into talking to the company and they were actually getting ready to, to kind of call it call it and i'm like oh no no i'll take it over and i so i bought in raised some money and bought into it and then that's when i that's when i found out how how much i didn't know <laughs> because my experience the people who i've worked with and used it liked it and were getting results but when I started doing this as my day job, I found out I was just a this this crazy idiot who didn't know what they were talking about because fat had no had no real role in performance sports. And um, I don't know you do you know who Scott Dunlap is yes of course okay he started one of the first blogs. Mm-hmm. I remember he did a an interview with me on his blog. And we talked about Vespa and I, and I was saying essentially the same stuff I say now, just not in as much detail. And if you look at the comments, it was called a, you know, trail runners blog. It's his old blog. And, and it was called cracking the mystery of Vespa. Cause he was using, he's, he's in, you know, he's in tech and he's used to innovation. So he tried it and it was working for him. And so we did this blog on how it was worked. But when you looked at the, you know, and I put out the same thing I'm doing today that really is your aerobic energy source. And, and, and boy, when you look at the comments in that blog, we got ripped to shreds, you know, sure doesn't yeah. work, but I knew that something was working. And so 
the trajectory that brought me to you started with a guy named John Olson. And I don't know if you don't know who John Olson is. He's pretty well. Yep. Okay. So John, John, Paul said to me when I started this as a business in 2007, 2008, he said, said, you need to help talk to John. He's a real talented runner, but he has GI issues. And so I started working with John, wonderful guy and super talented runner, uh, still is even at his age. But um, he was like getting out. He could win races, but he it, it's like it was sporadic because if his gut game out, it was over. And so we started working together and that became sort of working. And then he well, we got him going and he started winning and setting records. And then he told Jenny Capel and Reno and then Jenny told Roxanne Woodhouse and working with those three really early adopters who had stomach and gut issues. That's where. I really had a lot of epiphanies because I was using my biology background. I was digging into the textbooks and looking at physiology, anatomy and stuff. And I had some really big epiphany moments then, even though I was getting laughed at by people about the fact that, you know, it's all about the carbs and what you're doing makes no sense. And, uh, but I had an epiphany moment because, um, you know, GI issue, GI issues are real common in endurance sports, right? Yes. I mean, it's so common that people sort of look at, look at GI issues as a rite of passage and even a badge of honor. It's like, you're not really a re real ultra unless you <laughs> puked or had <laughs> diarrhea or, you know, you, you know what I'm saying, right? It's, course, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's common. You, you know, you probably yeah. live that, right? Uh, well, it's, it's been my experience. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So what happened was, and this is, this is really important to pay attention to is I had this epiphany because I dig it, dug into it. And it's like your GI tract is lined by what's called epithelial cells, villi. Villi are made up. And I would, I'm, I'm kind of like the way I describe it in the, the first step sense is it's like a brand new shag rug. Okay. Real deep, real deep high pile, these villi. And, and within all that, and the mucous membrane is your biome. Okay. And most of your biome is in your colon, but it's still, there is biome in your digestive tract from your mouth all the way to the rear end. Um, so what was, what was occurring was when you try to run or exercise, particularly in the heat, you're, you're, and then try to take in carbs, you're creating a, catastrophe of oxidative stress because what happens is the hotter it gets the more blood flow has to be its allocation of resources blood flow has to go from the muscles to the skin surface to thermoregulate right. so then the the digestive tract gets put on sleep mode literally and you can pass simple glucose and electrolytes with the right amount of water osmotically doesn't require a lot of digestion but if you take anything more than that or your hydration's off it's it's a mess and then what happens is those carbohydrates because the blood flow to that those epithelial cells are reduced they're going to be more prone to glycolysis all that glucose getting processed creates a lot of oxidative stress which is free radicals you're literally i what i liken this to is think of it as like a brazilian tropical rainforest and your villi is that big rainforest canopy okay and then what happens is you're literally burning that rainforest down by, by trying to digest when you have no blood flow. Hmm. 
Okay. And that's what happens. And it's just, it's, it's utterly too, way too common. And, and then what happens is you burn that down. So then all of a sudden you can't house the same biome, the, the amount and the diversity, and then, it, and then it gets inflamed and you see people start to get immune system response things, nutrition issues, injuries, because they're not able to process because your epithelium and your biome is, is, is your first line defense before your immune system kicks in. It's also a way that nutrition gets processed. And this, this, this very complex thing that we only understand a little bit about is a huge part of nutrition. And nobody wants to talk about, they talk about, Oh, this is what's in this food as if, and then it goes to, you need this mineral. Well, there, there's a lot that goes on to get that there that's done through your epithelial cells and your, your biome. And so this burning down of the rainforest, I, you know, it was like, wow. So I started getting these guys on carbohydrate restriction, using the Vespa, they were able to do their runs on a lot less calories. And as we started to heal their gut through collagen rich foods, uh, probiotics that colonize probiotic foods, you know, they just started to get over this and it became a thing of the past. I mean, these were people like John said to me one time, he said, Peter, you have no idea. He says, I wasn't just worried. I was terrified because I knew my gut would go, go out in a race. I just didn't know when and if it was enough to, you know, throw my race. And, and, and that's just been, that's been sort of the history in endurance sports. And it's like, like I say, it's just common. It's so common. It's looked upon as normal. And I'm like, this is not normal. This is, this is really not the way it's supposed to be. And if you're tapping into your fat stores as the majority uh, fuel source, well, it's a completely different paradigm changes because then you don't have to try to take in calories. Um, you don't have to try to process them. And it's like I say, do you want to try to do cal uh, hard calisthenics when you sit down to have a meal? No. Same thing when you're exercising, your body's not wanting to digest um when you're trying to exercise at a high level and so it can take in like i say it can take in some simple sugars with the right osmolarity of electrolytes and water but you know it doesn't need that much and if you really get yourself in the right place that little bit of sugar i'm not against carbohydrates we call them strategic carbs you know um so i'm not a keto guy i get lumped into the keto camp all the time because people have no frame of reference for what we're doing um because it, it, you know, we're not eliminating carbs. Um, we're actually using them strategically so they can be that icing on the cake that gives you that performance push to to win. Because the the re the reality of keto is it's got a lot of benefits compared to high carb, but you got a governor on. You can't. You're never going to get the performance. You can go all day, but you can't go all day very very hard or fast. And you really need to develop those fast pathways. And that's, it's a, it's an enzyme called pyruvate dehydrogenase. And what happens is, is if you go too deep into keto, you downregulate that. And then even if you give yourself glucose, you can't use it. Right. So, and so that's, and that's the, the difference with using Vespa is that we, we have both pathways open. But as you said, both, well, and not only that, Vespa is really interesting because in the liver, depending on a bunch of factors, it will really help drive that hepatic gluconeogenesis I talked about, that whole other source of glucose 
within us that's not even talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. It'll yep. drive that too. Yep. Um, we've commonly have seen people do fasted workouts and, and this was shown in the faster study, fasted workouts where they'll see their post-exercise blood sugar hit 150 and up to 200. No carbs taken in, but all of a sudden they're, they're, they're making their own glucose like crazy. Right. Cause it's, right. Yep. and that was shown in the faster study, which we can talk about. Um, so, you know, I was doing this in 2010 or 12. I met Dr. Stephen Finney, who is a world net renowned MD PhD and, and he researches low carb diets. And he was the first researcher who didn't dismiss what I was saying. Um, he said, yeah, no, it's possible. And, and so that led to the Western state study in 2012, which he and Jeff Bollock took some data on runners of Western states. I think they had 15 or 20 who were doing the traditional high carb and 15 or 20 who were on my program. They're using Vespa and had restricted carbs, but we, you know, using them and, and that study never got published, but the data they got from that, especially on the recovery side of it, which we will talk about, was so compelling, it led to what's called the FASTER study. And then the FASTER study was a study that came out that actually kind of changed a lot, but it it never got traction because it was it was rolled out as a keto study. And then when everybody tried to do keto for performance, it didn't work. But it showed, it, it fundamentally showed that prior to the FASTER study publishing, um, all the science leading up to that study showed that the absolute ceiling, the ceiling of fat oxidation was one gram per minute. That was the ceiling. That was the, the most the science said was possible. And it actually suggested that most fit athletes only burn less than a half a gram, half or less. Most people are actually less than a half a gram. And so when you look at the science, before faster it was pretty clear according to the science you could not fat was not a viable energy source so you needed to rely on your glycogen stores and external stores to do performance so it makes total sense um but that was not my experience i trusted my experience like going back to we need to empower everybody everybody to, to use get their metabolism right and then trust their own intuition about what works or not and not get you know you know, it's like I say, the data corroborates the experience. It doesn't drive it. And people need to not surrender that their sovereignty over their bodies. Um, get the body working right. Like, like right now, like, you know, you're experimenting with this now you're new to it, but it's, but it's working. Right. Yeah. Clearly yeah. And, and that's what I was going to say is like, if we take my own experience, um, you know, Western States, I had severe, GI distress. I was relying on carbohydrates, um, as my fuel source. And then, you know, um, our, 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 you know, our co-friend Bart Smith (laughs) said, you need to talk to Peter. Like I, and so he's, I've been doing this, um, you know, um, optimization of, of, uh, fat oxidization, uh, you know, for, for years and Peter's been instrumental in helping me and I haven't had stomach distress, you know, I think you should talk to him. So, I reached out to you and and then you began my journey with the um, metabolism correction. Um, why don't we just start there? You know, you said, you know, your, your gut is inflamed right now. You know, you just went through a lot in Western States. You put your, 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 your GI track through 
a lot. <laughs> you, bur you burn that, you burn the rainforest burn, yeah, down. I burn the rainforest. So in trying to, you know, uh, you know, uh, heal, we'll say heal that environment, um, my gut, let's talk about that process. You're, um, you know, you're, you're eating menudo, right? You're yes. the menudo. You're, all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so um, let, let's, let's talk about menudo. Cause I don't think a lot of the listeners are familiar okay, with menudo. Right. So this is, this is really important. So pay attention to what I said earlier about burning the rainforest down. But so one of the things is that once again, we evolved over millenniums and, and, humans trusted that thing that we didn't have this formal science and published papers we had and so when you look at traditional cultures every one of these cultures um they have foods recipes that are rich in collagen so when you go to asia you have chicken feet soup shark fin soup fish head soup um with extra tripe and tendon with tripe and tendon in it uh in asia you go to eastern europe they have a tripe tripe dishes eastern europe from italy east tripe is a big part of the diet it used to be part in france and england but it's kind of moved out the the more modern places they've moved these collagen rich diets out but when you go to poland it's called flaxi in romania it's called berta um in russia it's a form of borscht um, every Eastern, they, they have these collagen rich foods as just a normal part of the diet because uh, collagen proteins, I, I subscribe to what I call whole animal eating. No, it's also known as nose to tail. Um, and here's the thing. When you do that kind of whole animal eating, you're going to eat the muscle meat, um, a little bit of organ meat, organ meat. I don't, I don't, I recommend that people eat that sparingly they get sufficient but sparingly and then uh, but i also recommend they're eating lots of collagen rich foods because here's the reason why your organ meats are, are nutritionally super dense like you can you can literally make yourself sick eating too much liver or give yourself gout eating too much liver because liver is so nutritionally dense and in fact i always tell people eat down the food chain so most of the liver or liver supplements we get come from ruminants or pigs which is eating down the food chain um to a point about the nutritional density if you eat up the food chain you can poison yourself like polar bear liver because polar bears are eating other predators mm. a lot of the times so they're not eating other they're not eating herbivores mostly they're eating like walruses which eat fish so they're eating, a, and it's so concentrated that you can get heavy metal toxicity from eating polar bear liver. Very well documented. So you never eat polar. So that's how dense organ meat is. So you need just a little of that. Yeah. And but Americans and a lot of the Western Europeans who do eat meat in their diet, they're eating way too much muscle meat. I'm a guy who has a bias. I love a nice steak. And I will eat, I will chow down 20, 24 ounces of steak. And so I, I know I have a bias and I'm, I'm willing to step back from that bias and say, no, you don't need this much. So I don't, I don't do that that often, but I do like having red meat in my diet, but the amount of red meat you need in terms of muscle meat is very small. However, what we've eliminated from our diet are these collagen rich foods because collagen, your collagen is, is compared to muscle, muscle tissue. It's very high turnover like your epithelial cells and your endothelial cells, your endothelium lines, your cardiovasculature. 
yeah. the blood delivery thing. Yeah. So those cells, your endothelial and your epithelial, those are relatively high turnover. And it's also your skin, uh, your eyes, your hair, your nails. These are all collagen-rich tissues, but they turn over much faster. And yes, your body will recycle and all that, but you need to really be getting, because of our digestive tract, is that of what I would compare, um, is 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 that of a um, omnivorous carnivore. We don't have the capacity to make all these things in our stomach and gut. So it's really important to get food sources that are already, you know, in that state. So when you eat menudo, compata, you're getting a whole bunch of different collagen, types of collagen in the most dense bioavailable form you can, because it's, it's as close to your, epithelium as you can because you're eating the 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 stomach lining of a cow so it's it's just really rich and it feeds that growth back you know instead of now that we've burned the rainforest now now we're feeding it with the kind of nutrition that's going to grow back that rainforest you know yeah. and i don't know how if you've taken a liking to menudo or not but i've had some athletes who don't um, like it i, I have to say it's, it's not not my favorite <laughs> but okay <laughs> I, yeah, I've had, but like you, I've had several athletes who don't, who aren't really keen on it, but they say, wow, that makes my stomach and gut solid. Yes. Yeah, you can notice the difference. There is quite a difference, um, you know, after, after eating, especially the day after, um, yeah. and, um, it is menudo con pata, but then there was the scene. What, what are we, which is without Singrano. the harmony, which is okay. not without the harmony. And, and, so it's not only going to improve the health of your epithelium and your endothelium, but your tendons, your ligaments, your synovial fluid, and your my, the myofascial sheath that encapsulates your muscles, right? That thin layer, that crystally level, that's your myofascial. Those are all collagen-rich um, tissues that that need that that, that nourishment that collagen. Yeah, that nourishment, and it, it's just. I, you know, collagen supplements are big right now. Most of the collagen supplements are based on skin collagen, which is fine. It gets, it's better than nothing, but I want to have that, that Menudo Compata gives you all those different collagens and, you know, in a bioavailable way that, that you can't beat, you know, um, if you can make bone broth, that's great. I'm not knocking it, but that's, you know, it seems like everybody's like collagen peptide supplements and bone broth. But when you look at these, traditional dishes that the you know whether it's asian eastern european or, or latin american it's like all this it pales in comparison to <laughs> menudo compata i mean did you have you ever taken some home and put it in the fridge yeah it is it gets it's, like almost gelatinous it, well it turns it the stuff i get it turns into a block of collagen a solid yeah, yeah. block Right, that's what I mean. It's just like you know, almost like Jello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah. Jello. Yeah, and that's the thing. Jello is another source of collagen. But um, these these traditional recipes that these these traditional cultures passed on, they knew intuitively how to eat, mm -hmm. and they prized these foods. And so that's that's a huge component to getting your stomach and gut health. And then that's going to have. A whole bunch of subtle downstream effects in terms of your overall health and performance and and also your glucose tolerance you'll be able to tolerate carbs better by building up that gi tract and that's why it it occupies the third tier of the ofm pyramid right first the base pyramid base of the pyramid is that fat adapted state 
The second is focusing on nutrition, not calories. And then the third is the stomach and gut health. That's, that's, it's, it's that important in, in the whole overall scheme of things, but it's, it's, it's just, there's a whole lot of rabbit holes to go on. So yeah, that's, but you know, your, yeah. your testimony to, to how it yeah. works. And I noticed just with my own self and you probably know so over time, my sensitivity to food, allergens, everything has gone way up. I tolerate stuff I used to not tolerate well. And and you don't have to do it regularly. You know, you were saying just like maybe, you know, on the weekend, you know, just having the, the menudo soup I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, like I try to have menudo every week or two, depending on where I am and how I can get it because yeah. it's, it's common. But like this week I couldn't get it because I, I was in Tahoe area and I just, on Sunday I didn't get it, but on Monday I got, I walked into a restaurant to get dinner. It was a Mexican restaurant and they had caldo de res, which is a, a beef caldo, a beef soup. And that's collagen rich. It's not as rich as menudo, but I, I had that. And then Tuesday for lunch, I met a friend, an ultra runner friend for lunch. And I had pho with tripe and tendon. So I got, you know, I got my collagen in yeah. now, probably this weekend I will have, you know, menudo, yeah. uh, but yeah. that's, but, you know, like I said, you know, you know, Asian cultures have all kinds of collagen rich dishes. Uh, the Eastern Europeans, it's, it's part of their culture still. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. then, then, you know, after we worked on the healing process, um, we, you know, we got some supplements, you know, that, that we added, uh, to my daily regimen. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Let's talk about the supplements. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we'll talk about the Vespa last, but, but, sure. you know, over the course of my supporting athletes and, and my health journey, I started to really think about and read from an evolutionary process, you know, evolutionary biology, like what were the pressures that developed us to be the robust, successful species we are and um, work, I'm working with athletes. And so one of the key, the first couple of things that I really came across that I saw as a problem were vitamin D and magnesium. Um, and so when you look at how we live today, we don't get a where most people aren't metabolically as fit as they should be. So, because vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin, it works, it's, it's taken up and utilized and harnessed in, in concert with everything else. Nothing exists in a vacuum in biology, except we try to make it sound like it's in a vacuum. Like, you know, it's like today it's the vitamin D tomorrow's the magnesium. Uh, the next day it's the carbs, right? We always focus on one thing and people mm -hmm. have to understand this is a matrix that works and you got to get working in concert. And it's like, People need to understand they are their own symphony conductor. So they're just, you know, the symphony conductor doesn't play any instruments, but he's kind of just like helping to tweak each section to play a certain way to get that music to play right. Right. Um, so vitamin D was a big one because I looked at the numbers and read a bunch of research papers. And then I thought about it from an evolutionary context and like, we were getting exposed to hundreds of thousands of IUs of vitamin D a day for months in our, in through most of human history as Savannah hunter gatherers or people in the forest, whatever. And then, you know, like 
like you can see as as people migrated away from the tropical latitudes skin color changed like the the closer you are the darker your skin to you know the more exposed the darker your skin as you move forward move away towards the poles people get lighter skin and that's why like you again here in the in the in the modern western cultures everybody's scared of sun exposure but you go to eastern europe the russians the eastern europeans are all trying to get as much sun as they can right now so during those summer months which is a small window for them that two or three months they're all very light skinned they're all trying to get um as much sunlight as they can to shore up their vitamin d because that uh and i'm big on that because you can the research is is suggesting that sun exposure to your skin with the right well, all the right metabolic processes it's not just vitamin d that's being produced there's all these other compounds that they just don't even know about yet it's it's that it's that miraculous but i'm also like for practical purposes if you can't use a spare tea lamp or tanning beds with uvb just do the vitamin d3 because it's a whole it's a whole lot better than doing nothing people were low and then when I looked at the history of vitamin D deficiency and toxicity, it was one of these things where the medical reference range for vitamin D is too, was too low for me because I was seeing that, you know, it's depending on who you talk to, which medical reference range is either 20, uh, 20 or 30 to a hundred. And I was finding that with athletes to get the performance fat at performance on fat, you had to be 50 or above mm. 58, 80 was a good number, good reference range. So 50 was my floor 40 to 50 was suboptimal. Anything below 40 was deficient in my book. And because every time we got people's vitamin D up or their performance went right through the roof, but vitamin D doesn't exist in, in, in a vacuum. Once again, you need to have the metabolism. You need fat soluble vitamin A um, you need vitamin K2 or MK7 and you need magnesium. Those are all, those are the main cofactors that create good vitamin D uptake and, and metabolism to get all the benefits of that. That was one of the big things. And then, um, you know, we have, so that was one of the big things. And of course, whole animal eating, like with our supplements, most people don't do liver. They're not going to do heart. They're not going to do kidney. So, uh, and a lot of people aren't going to do menudo. So mm -hmm. we get them on collagen and we get them on liver capsules as a, as a, you know, backup way. Is it, it it's, it's, it's way better. It looks like it gets you 60 to 80% there, but it's re I really like to push people to have the food based. And as you've seen by your own experience, the food base is better. Yeah. It's just, right. it's just, we've kind of um, gotten it out of our, our, you know, our palates. We yeah. had a really interesting conversation on that yesterday. Um, so I always try to get from food and theoretically you can get everything you need out of food, but it's, it's going to be a lot of work to do. Yeah, right. Um, so a little bit of, in, in, for most modern people who won't eat certain foods, it's just easier to do the supplementation. You know, another one I see is zinc, zinc and copper, you know, um, we, we do a little bit of supplementing to that and that's to get optimal performance and stuff. Nice. Great. Yeah. yeah. So we, we talked about, um, you know, getting the gut healthy and then some supplements to kind of 
keep it healthy. Um, and then we brought in Vespa. So talk about how Vespa came in. Okay. So let's give people a little bit of background so they can kind of wrap their heads around Vespa because this is the hardest thing I've ever done is try to offer a product that's just such a game changer. I mean, you have to agree, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't need much else. <laughs> it's, yeah. It was crazy. It, it's, it's funny because I, I sell Vespa as a tool. It's one thing. It's not, it's not the thing. I don't try to make it the thing, but it is as something you take. It's, it's just the more I, I expose the experiences of athletes, the more it's like, wow, this is, this is something pretty much a game changer. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a natural product. It's act, the FDA actually classifies it as a food-based beverage, not as a dietary supplement. Okay. Because it's all, because all the ingredients are natural ingredients. You don't need, you don't need a PhD in food science or um, organic chemistry to know what's in it. You know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you evolve the formula or is this still? I didn't original? create the formula. I'm the guy that's kind of figured out how to really get it to work well consistently mm -hmm. um and and how the formula evolved was was let me tell you that story this is an accidental discovery of nature and so um back in the late 80s early 90s some japanese entomologists were studying the asian murder hornet yeah uh, when you hear in the news yes and this is a giant this is a large hornet it's as big as your thumb and it they found it flew anywhere from 60 to 100 kilometers a day on average wow yeah yeah it was doing ultras every day <laughs> and and it would go out hunting it's a it's a predatory wasp it's an apex predator and it would go out and would kill something or if it had found some carrion it would take that but normally it would kill things like praying mantises european honeybees are its main food source. It's an it's an introduced species, so there's an abundance of wasps now, um, and other insects, and even small animals like mice and stuff. It's just it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and what it would do was it would masticate that whatever it killed into a food ball, and then thirty per it would fly thirty percent of its weight. So it would be at one hundred thirty percent of its weight. It would fly back to the colony. So half of that ultra was carrying 30% more wow. weight than it actually weighs. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and when, and I'm, when you look at some of the national geographic footage of these wasps decimating a, a beehive, like three, 30 of these wasps will go in and just take out 33, 30,000 bees. It just, they just fly in and start ripping heads off. It's just, it's the most violent, one of the most violent things you'll ever see. And so it's like, what the heck allows it to, to do this? Sure. And so what happens is it's a process called trophlaxis, which is very well documented in, in insects. And bees, ants, wasps, and termites use this process where the adult, it's two, it's a symbiotic relationship between two life cycles of the insect. So what happens is the adult feeds the larva this food ball it's brought back. In exchange, it gets this peptide that causes it to trigger it to, to access the fat in its thorax for high-performance fuel. Wow. 
right? Because it's flying, it's killing yeah. stuff. Sure. It's high level performance here yeah. and, and endurance. Yep. And so it's well, you know, that's why bees, ants, wasps, and termites have these big thoraxes, which is the back part of the insect, which is it's basically a big clump of fatty acids. So it's fat. Yep. Okay. So they're like, wow. And this is the largest of those insects that use this process. Right. So they got this peptide, hydrolyzed it, got the amino acid um, breakdown. And then they hypothesized that because human, because animal cells, not just human cells, but animal cells on a cellular level, animal cells are remarkably similar across species that this peptide would exert the same sort of influence to upregulate high-level fat metabolism, not fat burn only, but fat metabolism in 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 rat and mice cells and eventually to human cells. So they tested on rats and mice using swimming to exhaustion tests, and then they used it on humans. And in every case, the natural peptide exerted the most um influence on on lengthening that time to exhaustion in the mice and, and then metrics with with humans they just could burn they, they just were able to metabolize fat at a much higher rate interesting and so that's yeah. this that's this so it's an accidental study of uh, uh accidental discovery of nature of natural products you know you look at so many natural products out there and, and they're just sort of like accidental like the, the whole thing with penicillin yeah. You know, it was it was an accidental discovery of nature. So that's how it was discovered. Um, but the problem is, is, is it all coincided. We introduced the product in 1999. I was not part of the company then. But in 2000, it was brought into the States. And, you know, when you look at the timeline, it's it 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 collides with the whole high carb performance fueling approach. And so there was no literature and and so it's been a very hard thing to get across because we're breaking the, you know we're being very disruptive in an industry that doesn't even use the term i mean we're disrupting the whole thing by saying no pushing all these carbohydrates the massive amounts is is not the right way to go um we're not but we're also not doing the full 180 degree keto thing where Right. We're saying, you know, anything that has sugar in it's bad, evil, you know? Right, right. It's like we we try, you know, I'm looking at carbohydrates as a great a tool for not just performance, but actually adaptation to get better at fat burning. Yep. And like you said, use strategically, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and so, you know, it's, it's not like you said, um, you know, we had the conversation that, you know, do, do I have to go? you know, towards the ketogenic way. And you said, no, not at all. Like use carbs strategically. So, you know, if, if I'm going to be doing a big effort, there probably should be some carbohydrates on board that, you know, I have, it doesn't some necessarily carbohydrates before in your meals and there should yeah. be some carbohydrates during, and there should be a little bit of carbs in that first post post run meal. Right. Right. So yeah, so you have those on board and, you know, so um, in, using Vespa, you know, from when you first experienced it and in Western States um, to, to now, how has that plan evolved? Talk about how we, you know, we, we formulated a plan to use and was going to be at Vermont, but <laughs> then became the Badger 100. Um, so how which, do you, which was, which was more difficult, right? 
Um, uh, in some regards, <laughs> um, actually, uh, Vermont had more climb, um, but Badger was definitely hotter. Um, but you know, so they had trade-offs. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah. also, there was the stress, the fact that you're you're chasing a grand slam this year, and you yeah. had to pick yep. up a hundred. Yes. Right away. Totally. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we initially had talked about doing it at Vermont, but then we transitioned to, uh, to Badger, but, um, you know, let's kind of talk about the plan and, and how we instituted or how we, um, we implemented using Vespa, um, you know, the, the we were, we were going to set, we said that like an interval, right. We said, we're going to do this interval. Um, but you know, you said also don't forget that you, you have to have these strategic carbs. So why don't you go ahead and kind of talk about the plan? Yeah. Well, knowing you're a, a fairly competitive elite level runner, um, uh, when things are going right, right. Before, right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Before uh, things yeah. come crashing down like yeah. at Western yeah. States. Right. Um, you know, the carbs are necessary. I mean, it's just, it's just, you, you, you need that push and, and particularly in the second half, like when you get past a hundred K, like, like a guy like you, how old are you, Aaron? Um, 45 right now. 45. Okay. So it's somebody at your age, it's like, like I say, you think about your level of, of athleticism and fitness and, and all that, your physiology is, 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 really in a place where this is nothing running the first hundred K is nothing more than what you evolved to do. Right. Yeah, That's being right. on your feet right. all day. Yep. So, you know, we, we were chasing game all day and we, we feasted and fasted is what I say. We didn't feast in famine. Most humans feasted and fasted. Um, so you get to that, you know, you want to use a strategy where you have some extra cars, but like I, like I said, you know, have have some carbs the night before. Have a light breakfast. Trust the system, but eat something, but don't go crazy. And then you know, take your Vespa, get your race started, get to the what I call the switch, right? And what we see is typically it's thirty to thirty-two to thirty-six minutes where you hit what I call the switch, and that's when you've upregulated all your hormonal and enzymatic pathways, your internal ones, to burn fat. Um, as ketones, as beta oxidation, maybe even producing a little glucose, but sparing the glycogen. You're upbringing all those pathways hormonally and the Vespa is driving that. It's helping to drive that. And also what happens during that time, that first 32 to 36 minutes, you're also dilating your cardiovascular so you can have the blood capacity to take the oxygen so you can burn fat. You don't want to go too hard. And, and if you try to go too hard, that's going to be say, oh, we got signaling your body in a primitive way, fight or flight. So it it delays that fat burning process. So you get into that groove and I'm sure you're feeling that now. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. When you hit that switch? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, we, uh, and we should start by saying um, I was using the ultra concentrate product because uh, you do have a few um, products yeah. in the line. So I was using the ultra concentrate product. Um, I started 45 minutes beforehand. I took a ultra concentrate and you know with water um drank that and you were saying that you could add it to water if you so choose or you could you know kind of chug the packet and then you know chase it with yeah, some you water. definitely gotta dilute it whether you're gonna put it in your water bottle pre-dilute it or like i do you you i take a couple swigs of water choke it down 
chase it with a couple more swigs of water, but definitely dilute the ultra concentrate because yeah. it is ultra concentrated. <laughs> right. So I, I did that, you know, prior to the race, 45 minutes prior to the race. And then we were set up, um, up through that first hundred K at about a two hour interval of taking That's the ultra right. concentrate up to the hundred K. Um, at which point, you know, um, and I think I had you start a feed between 90 minutes and two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, around, it was around an hour 40 for me that, uh, like, I was like, well, you know, I, I can, you know, I could do some, some calories right now, you know, and, and by calories, I just meant like some, a little bit of carbohydrates. I had a, um, a little bit of gel and a gel flask. So squirted a little bit of that and, um, you know, had some water. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was really, I wasn't pushing. I wasn't, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't energy depleted. I feel, you know, pretty even keel, um, through that point. And then, um, you know, throughout, um, I, I just, like you said, you know, maybe every, after that, it was about maybe every 45 minutes, I had like a little squeeze of, of some carbohydrates. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing a whole gel. Like I wasn't doing a hundred calories or a packet of gels, uh, you know, I was squeezing a little bit, maybe getting, you know, 30 calories, 40 calories of, of, of gel, um, and then, like I said, I continued to kind of get that even ride, um, uh, you know, um, uh, a stations came and went, I really, you know, my, my crew, you know, they're just like, you know, do you, do, are you eating enough? And I said, I feel like it, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I'm not crashing. I don't have the energy bonk. I like, I, I, like I said, it felt even keel. Um, you know, we got through, um, 50 I think, miles. I think I, one of the things I, I told you to do is, is while it's cool, you can eat more because mm -hmm. it heats up, focus more on hydration, less right. on the calories. Right. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. So as it got hot, um, uh, you know, I, um, I had a few, let's see about midday. Um, I, I love burgers. <laughs> so I had a burger and some, some bacon nice. at, at an aid station. Um, like, uh, that was about 40 miles in, it's about midday. So we had been going for about, I don't know, six to seven hours at that point. And that was kind of my first big, you know, had some, you know, something substantial, if you will, um, up to that point, it had just been these minor kind of, you know, fuelings. Um, and, uh, and that was great. Like, you know, it, I, you know, didn't, didn't sit on my stomach, didn't feel bad, you know? Um, and then, um, I kept to the plan, you know, basically just every two hours I was taking an ultra concentrate, um, I, when it was hot, I was taking the electrolyte tabs we had the, uh, the S caps. Um, so I was, I was taking the S caps at the heat of the day. I was taking probably one every half hour. Um, it, yep. it seemed to be working for me, um, at about one every half hour. Um, and just with water, um, you know, I, I wasn't really doing any kind of electrolyte drink. Um, I had a goo roctane drink as kind of a backup if, you know, I felt like I needed maybe some more calories or, um, you know, carbohydrates, if you will, or if I needed a little bit more electrolytes, but I wasn't using it too much. Um, and then, you know, as it got later into the race, um, uh, that we kind of decreased the interval. So after hundred K we decreased the, the interval to about hour, you know, hour 40 or so, um, on the Vespa. Um, and then, um, increasing the calories. Yes. And, and yeah, I started increasing the calories a little bit more. So at that point I went to choose so I, I use choose instead that way like i, I knew how many <laughs> choose i was getting and and you know i could kind of count what i was doing but i really wasn't doing a ton you know and that's what my crew kept worrying about <laughs> like are you doing enough uh, still same answer i don't feel you know that i need anything more i'm good i'm even keel you know 
Um, so, and that rode all the way through, um, I had one more burger at about mile 69, uh, but I only ate half of it. That's all I felt I really needed. Um, and then, um, yeah, you know, we had 50 K back to the finish and I, you know, just kind of, like you said, a little bit at a time, just kind of consuming a little bit here and there and just rode it to the finish. Never had that energy depletion, never, never spikes. You know, I didn't have any highs or lows. It just rode that, you know, wave the whole day which was, you know, fantastic. So, um, feel at the end? uh, really good. Um, you know, I, like I got done, uh, the last four miles, um, I just ran it in. Um, you know, I, I, I'd had, um, a little bit, uh, about mile 90, I think because we were on an old rails to trail. So I, uh, my, my joints were just getting kind of sore <laughs> at mile 90, just from being flat for so long. So I had to take a little walk break just because of the, you know, kind of the, the aches that I was getting from, from, you know, using the same muscle groups, the, the, you know, the entire time. Um, but you know, got to, uh, 96, it was a 102 mile race. So yeah, so I got to 96, I had six to go and then we just ran it in. Um, you know, the, the aches went away. Um, I really didn't do much in those last six miles. I didn't really eat much. Um, just, you know, drank some water when I needed it, but you know, I, I ran it in and we, we finished and, you know, I was fine. You know, I, I, you know, I recovered pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I had the normal kind of little bit of muscle soreness for the next few days, just, you know, just kind of, um, from using those muscles repeatedly for 102 miles. But, uh, I think by, uh, you know, Wednesday, which is like three days after I finished, I, I was pretty back to normal. Um, Were you running by then? Did you go out for some recovery? We, yeah, I went for a run, um, on, uh, I think Thursday, I think Thursday was my first day back running. I just did like a 35 minute jog just to kind of see what the legs felt like. Um, well, maybe I waited. I'm I'm trying to remember my timeline. I think I waited till till Sunday. I just did some walking because we wanted to make sure I was recovered since Leadville was like so quickly behind it. Um, so I think we waited till Sunday. Yeah, Sunday I did a test run. That's right. Um, but yeah, I just did some walking and some treadmill hiking. Um, in the meantime, um, probably could have ran, but you know, like I said, wanted to make sure I was fully recovered because Leadville was just under three weeks away. What so. do you think? What do you think of your recovery? Um now versus how it was before on the car yeah um i mean like i said you know i like i felt like i could run much much sooner than um than i had in the past um but you know it being my second hundred of the summer and uh i think i was just playing a conservative um yep. but you know muscle wise i recovered much quicker um, I would say down to the, like, probably to the hormonal level, that's probably where I needed a little bit more recovery was just, you know, making sure at the hormonal level, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was good and mentally, <laughs> I wanted to make sure mentally I was, <laughs> I was good to go. Yeah. 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 So that whole thing about the recovery, this is what most people notice about Vespa is the recovery is really a lot quicker and it's it this is a real big paradigm shift for the audience to understand and and like the more you're burning fat or metabolizing fat for your primary energy source the less oxidative stress and lactate load you you have so what happens is it's not so much that you recover faster it's that you've prevented the damage that you have to recover from and so that sense. damage, yeah. that cellular damage prevention is, is really huge. And 
it not only allows you to quote unquote recover faster, but because you're not trying to recover from the damage to get back up to baseline, the body's, if you got the nutrition right and you're getting the rest, the downtime, yeah. um, combined with some recovery activity to move blood through your cells, your body actually focuses more on what's called super compensation, which is what they call training effect. And I, I like to to say to people like, after your event is over, we use it. It's no no longer your your race. It's it's your it's a training session that we leverage off of, because that's a fundamental shift with with proper performance fat adaptation. Is your body will focus more on getting stronger, fitter, faster, and to a point. Um, one of our athletes, Jeff Browning, who I'm mm -hmm. sure you know of, and yep. probably a lot of the people out there, you know, he's 52 or three now, um, still at the top of the sport but he's also doing a huge volume of races each year right because he's just going from one event to recovering and peaking for the next event like 2015 to 2016 if you look at his hard rock to hard rock because mm -hmm. hard rock 2015 was like july 15th and hard rock 2000 was it not six, 15 or 16 but 21 and 22 2021, 22. Okay. He got fifth both years. And, but he was doing something big, like really big, either a race yeah. or an FKT every six weeks on average. Wow. Like yeah. every month and a half, he was doing something big and winning and placing or setting a record. Um, because, you know, his body just got stronger from the event rather than broken down from it. And, um, so a few things here um in between so you know uh here i am just in recovery mode i have leadville um uh, is uh august 19th so coming up quick we're recording here on august 10th 10 days we're 10 days out yeah nine days out yeah right so in between the two um is there any place that um i would be using or should be using vespa um, aside from, you know, all the, the, the supplements and uh, Menuda that we talked about, should we, is there any place for using Vespa in between? Oh yeah. I mean, you should be using Vespa for your long runs and your high level runs, like your intervals, your tempos, your recovery runs. You really don't need it so much because Vespa is not only going to drive your fat metabolism at that level, but also, you know, as you, as you're experiencing aid that, that quote unquote recovery paradigm of preventing damage. So you can mm -hmm. get the most um training effect out of each training session so that you can go into that race peaking like i don't i i i don't coach ultras with a taper because when you're fat adapted tapering is one of the is probably the most detrimental thing you can do because you get stale you lose that edge so what we do is we do a modified peak to build uh, or modified build to peak so that they go, <clears throat> we periodize the training very similar to Arthur Lydiard, but then you, you go through this big training block and then you go into a, about five or six weeks out, you go into a big recovery block, like 10 to 14 days of, of really keeping the intensity down. You can go as long as you want, but you want to keep not push yourself after, after that big block, that big block would be almost equivalent to what, whatever your goal race is. Yeah. You know, like, like really a two to three week block where you're by the end, you're adding a lot of cumulative stress and, and recovering from that 
full recovery, you go do a full stop recovery. And then the modified build to peak is we maintain the, the endurance you gain from all that, but then we start sharpening the, the, the spear by, by bringing in higher intensity, depending on the, the, the race, whether it's a marathon or a half marathon, all the way up to your hundred mile or more ultras, you know, you're, you're going to do workouts that are going to be higher level to bring back that speed snap leg turnover that you need to perform well, because, you know, training for ultra endurance, whether it's ultras, marathons, or triathlons, Ironman triathlons, you know, the training itself will slow your down, slow your, your race pace down if you're not careful, right? right. Because it's just a lot of volume of training. Yeah, sure. Um, so the focus is on doing that. And, and, and so you focus on training where you get, get you know, you're, we lower volume by about anywhere from 20 to 40%. Um, but then, but we really bring up the intensity so you can fully recover from that high intensity. And then there's a few big runs in there to maintain, maintain that endurance base you built. And then even on the week of the race, we do some pre-race ladder, some pre-race 2060s, depending on, on how well you recover three to five, three to five days out, just to, to give you your body that adaptive stressor. That's where you build the peak is like, say three or four days out, you do a ladder workout or some 2060s to just induce that adaptive stress to your body. So it says, oh, I got to get stronger, fitter, faster so that you're peaking on race day. Fair enough. And then you, you use you use Vespa for all those higher level runs and long runs. Okay. Um, and a race like Leadville, is there anything different that I should be doing for something like Leadville with uh, you know taking into account it's... Okay, so Leadville is one of those races where you really got to look at the weather two or three days out. You know, sure. when they got a pretty good read on the weather. I wrote, I ran it in two thousand and nine. Uh, got a sub twenty five, so I got that little bit, that nice big buckle. I could have <laughs> run sub twenty four. I got to May Queen with plenty of time, but since we knew that the, you know, for Leadville to get the big buckle, you had to do under twenty five. We basically right. kind of walked it in, and because I, I caught my friend Bruce who I was chasing all day. I caught him at May Queen sitting in a chair. So we just walked it in <laughs> together. And um, that was a year it got really hot and mm. stayed dry. Um, but gotcha. Leadville, you know, you're going from low altitude to high altitude. That's going to be a factor. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, I would say you'd follow the same strategy you did at Badger Okay. Uh, the only difference would be it can get cold or wet depending on what the weather's going to do. And that right. there you have to prepare on a number of levels, you know, clothing, getting into dry clothing at the night, yeah. layering up, getting extra calories. People don't realize this, but, but as you fatigue or as it gets colder and wet, you need extra calories right. to maintain core body temperature. So getting the, and that's a big mistake. A lot of fat adapted athletes get is they, they because they're so used to, getting by on less calories when the environmental conditions change, they don't change with them. You know, you scale back your hydration, you focus on calories. If it gets cold and wet, you need some, if you can get like broth or ramen or hot food, yep. you get that, you, you know, you start to eat a little bit of that as you sure. can. Yep. Um, you know, we just have to look at what the weather's going to be, be yeah. doing at yeah. Leadville. It's, and, you know, you, 
Yeah, right now it looks like the the lows at night are kind of in the 40s, which, you know, when we get towards the nighttime should be back over Hope Pass, the high point. So, um, you know, hopefully you should be you should be be back on the Colorado Trail or the road between there and Fish Hatchery. Yeah. Or even Pipeline. Right. And, and, and it, it, you know, there is where, yeah, you, you know, you 40s, depending on whether it, you had a thunderstorm and got wet or how sweaty you are, you know, getting into some dry clothing, yeah. you know, cool. Cause it can, it'll, it'll be 40s there. But I remember really clearly running at night there, like between uh, Crescent Moon and, and Fish Hatchery. I, it was a beautiful night, but it was windy. So that wind will add a little chill factor to it. Yeah. I was able to only, once I came down the dirt road, it was at a slight gradient. So I was able to run down that. But as soon as I hit the, the pavement, yeah. I was slightly uphill to fish hatchery. <laughs> All I could manage was a power walk. I was uh, just yeah. tired. Yeah. The altitude. Right. Um, it was really weird. And, and then once, you know, but you know, I just kept rolling along and then power walked up power line right and as soon as i got to the top power line I, as soon as it started going down i started rolling and then i got into a good that's how i caught nice. bruce was i was able to really roll down into to may queen so awesome. awesome but that's that's the thing is like depending on what what the weather gives you right right um that's right. a big deal yeah we'll keep our eye on that awesome yeah what wouldn't uh, so what's what's the profile of your listeners and and all that um i've got a yeah, it's. I mean, it's mostly ultra runners um, that that listen here, uh, but everybody, you know, from beginners to veterans. So it's it's because we talk about a wide variety of topics. Um, yeah. You know, sub sub marathon races. We talk about some of those topics, but um, but I would say predominantly it's going to be um, ultra runners. You know, mid age ultra runners. Um, you know, anywhere from um, mid pack to back of the packers. Um, we try not to make it all about the elites. <laughs> right, so, right, right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we've worked with people from the front of the pack, people like John Olson, yeah, Jay sure. Capel, Nick Curry. Nick, Nick thought Vespa was a total gimmick until he had to tr- use it in a race. <laughs> and right he on. had to use it because he'd run out of options. And that's, that's what happened. Like John, Jenny, they'd run out of options in the high carb thing. And so, I think what I want to leave the audience with is, is think about st- step back from what the messaging is about the high carbs. And I'm, I'm not saying you don't use carbs, but right. this whole messaging of, Oh, you only have so much glycogen, which is, should be your fight or flight fuel and should be robust if you use it as fight or flight. And they're, they're, when we're using the wrong fuel for the wrong purpose. And so, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, the reason we store a lot of fat is because that's what we're meant to burn aerobically. And we humans have gotten too clever for ourselves. (laughs) And by, you know, pushing the carbs, which will give us that performance boost. It's like the typical American way, right? If a little's good, a whole lot is better. Well, (laughs) guess what? It's, you know, we've supersized ourselves with carbohydrates to where we don't burn fat. Um, but when you look at people like Jeff Browning or Peter Mortimer or Nick Curry or people we've worked with, we've actually tested some of these people. And now um, we've got some data now that supports what we're doing. And, and that came out with the FASTER study. Um, I, if people are familiar with the FASTER study, which came out in 2015, which kind of gave some credibility to this whole thing, you know, it showed that 
ultra runners could burn a gram and a half of fat in that hour, not just a half a gram or a one gram. So the, the ceiling was broken with that study. And what people don't know is all but two of those subjects were people I personally coached and trained. And so in the real world, they used OFM and Vespa. They weren't doing straight keto, but the problem with the faster study was it was the inference was it was straight keto. They tested them using straight keto during the test period, but they didn't do that in the real world because they wouldn't have gotten the performance. Okay. Um, the data we have now, and, and in talking with several of the people, this was something we, we all knew. It's like, we left a lot on the table. There was more than just a gram and a half or John Rutherford who got 1.78 grams from it. We all knew there was more out there. And so a couple of years ago, I got a bunch of athletes. We did some testing down in Scottsdale and we've got a couple of athletes that are, that are Jeff Browning and, and Peter Mortimer who can, who, who will burn a gram and a half all day long, like all day long. And they can sustain pushes of, 15 minutes at over two grams a minute. That's data nobody has. Now, yes, is it is it is Vespa in there? Yes. Is all the other fat adaptation strategies in there? Yes. But they're all another big lever for them is both Jeff and Peter are living at 7,000 feet, right? Flagstaff, Arizona, just like Mammoth, Mammoth. There's something, you know, altitude training is really important to that. Absolutely. Um, that's another lever. I mean, they're all tools. Like Vespa is a tool. Carbohydrate restriction is a tool. Strategic carbs are a tool. Vitamin D is a tool. Um, periodized training is a tool. These are all tools. And and unfortunately, you know, we we the messaging that gets marketed out there is that this is the only thing. You know, it's like you got to push all the carbs. Or you know, the latest thing is continuous glucose monitors or heart rate training. And, and people lose sight of the fact that you're you're a biological system and it's it's a compendium of all these elements these tools and physiology working together in concert and Absolutely. and so getting back to that premise we want to do all we can to optimize our fat metabolism not just to burn fat but also to burn glucose when we need to like i said right. when you get your insulin down and your insulin sensitivity high your body will take liver fat and convert it into glucose at a very high rate. Um, and that's one of the things we've, uh, one last thing is we've got that wrong too. Cause like people talk about insulin and they don't talk about the downside effects of pushing a lot of carbs, which is one of them is insulin. One of them is stomach and gut issues. Um, you know, you see this a lot right now because they've gone back with the new hydrogels and other formulations, liquid formulations, they're really pushing the carbs once again to get them in. And it's like, yes, they work for performance, but the problem is nobody wants to talk about the unintended consequences of, of literally flogging an athlete with that much sugar, right? Because it all yeah. ends up as sugar. Yeah. So we we need to have that conversation. And part of that conversation is, yeah, if you want to perform, you, you really ought to be using those in in competition, but you need to build the metabolic capacity so you have the matches to burn. If you're doing this, all these carbs all the time, you're burning up your mitochondrial matches and your cell wall layer matches. You, you, when you build up metabolic capacity, you have the mitochondrial density and capacity. You have the, the cell walls are very healthy and robust so they can withstand the oxidative stress. Um, 
you want to build that up. And that's what OFM does. Um, that's what Vespa allows you to do by not having all that oxidative stress. Because that's the con that's a that's an unintended consequence of burning a lot of carbs is the oxidative stress and lactate load that um impacts you. And we also want to thank right. you. you yeah. Uh, if you minimize that. that, you minimize that damage, you maximize, you know, you minimize, you prevent the damage, and then your body focuses on getting using that adaptive stress that you're giving it to get stronger, fitter, faster. Awesome. Major, I really appreciate your time and what you're putting into the sport and, and giving back to me. I really do appreciate it. You and um, yeah. you were generous enough to create a coupon code for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We built, you know, we built like for you, it's like, I've had to build this company because it's, it goes against that whole narrative of carbs. I've yeah. had to literally build this company one athlete at a time. And it's right. now the word spreading, starting to spread because people like you are having success and you have credibility with people to, you know, drink that heretical Kool-Aid that we're, we're saying, but it's like I say, step back. And if you think about it, it's like, it makes perfect sense. It just is so against the narrative. And, and, and people have to understand too, when you're, when you're doing a lot of carbs, you literally have a physiological addiction to them. So it, it, I, I understand, I get where they're coming from. It seems very difficult to wean yourself of carbs. Yeah. yeah. It's a process. It is a process. It's a process. And the Vespa will help jumpstart that process because if you don't use Vespa, the chances of bonking are a lot higher. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. You've seen that in your own. Ex yep. um, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. And um, thank you for generating the code for everybody. I'm going to put the the code in the show notes. Um, Peter is offering the, the listeners and everybody 20% um, off. Yep. 20% yep. coupon code. Um, we, Vespa's expensive. Um, and so we try to give people breaks wherever we can. And if you become a regular user, there's ways to get discounts. But one of the things is, okay, it's it's a natural product with natural ingredients. That's what makes it very expensive. Um, but when you compare, if you're comparing it on a price per pouch, it's it just doesn't make sense. It's really expensive. So I see, I get why people turn away and especially when they see it only has 19 calories it's like 19 calories how does this work and it costs seven bucks it's like this is crazy right, right. but when you take into account that you're going to replace multiple gels or nutrition you're going to recover faster without doing cellular damage then all of us and then you don't need these recovery products the price actually becomes a wash and i have several people and i think barch one of them that you know, once you get the whole OFM thing and you're eating whole foods um, and you're not eating a lot of crap, you're not hangry, it, the cost actually becomes a wash or even less. Yeah. So you, folks, you can use the uh, the coupon running is life, uh, all lowercase letters. I'm going to put uh, the, the website, Vespa's website in the show notes. I'll put the coupon code in the show notes along with a, a myriad of other things that, that Peter went over here. I took a bunch of notes. So check out the show notes um, for a lot of these links that, that Peter referred to. Um, Peter, thank you so much for, for sharing your You're your welcome. If you want to do another one, I know I talk too much, but that's okay. kind of like, Hey, it makes my job easy. <laughs> As in, it makes my job easy. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that. a lot of your listeners are going out for long runs or bike rides and, yes. and that's, that's where they can kind of take. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So thank you again, sir. You're welcome. Thank you again, Peter. Um, what a, you know, a great 
great conversation. You, <laughs> you really gave us so much. There is a lot in that conversation, more than just Vespa. Um, just some you know, really good um, words of wisdom. Things that you can try uh, if you're having stomach distress, especially. Um, it's not for everybody, uh, you know. Uh, so, I mean, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> you have to try. Uh, you know, I, I can say that after Western States and the stomach distress that I faced there in, you know, one of the cooler years at Western States, I definitely needed to do something different. And uh, it worked out quite well at Badger. You know, some, still some things I learned from Badger, things that I will apply going forward into Leadville. So um, this podcast is going to release just before uh, the running of Leadville. So, um, you know, I'll still be using Vespa, uh, but, you know, I, I need some, some different types of uh, carbohydrates to kind of trickle in um, and be a little bit more purposeful you know, be a little bit more strategic as Peter said. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, still a work in progress, but I'll recap obviously after Leadville, um, you know, talk about what I did, how things went and, uh, very excited. (laughs) I'm so excited for Leadville. So, um, can't wait for that. Um, I'm recording this on Friday, August 10th, um, excuse me, August 11th. And, um, I had a great run today. Um, legs are really coming around. Uh, I was kind of, you know, getting under seven minute pace. Uh, I'm just, you know, kind of moving nicely. Not, I didn't feel like I was forcing it. Uh, maybe pushing a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I may have been pushing it a little bit. Um, but, you know, just kind of seeing a 654 mile on my watch. It's been a long time since I've really done that or felt like I could do that. Uh, you know, uh, as I was getting towards Western States, I realized kind of how exhausted I was. Um, but now I'm feeling fresh, feeling rejuvenated. So I won't be doing that again (laughs) until, uh, Leadville and probably not at all during Leadville, (laughs) but it's great to see my legs coming back and rebounding and body feeling good again. I'm excited about that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of X factors at, at, uh, Leadville, you know, altitude being one. So, uh, this, this one, it's, uh, you know, same strategy though, slow and steady, just, you know, grind through it. Um, hopefully not grind. I don't want to grind. <laughs> I didn't really grind during Badger. Um, so I hope I don't have to grind during Leadville, but if I do, you know, such is life. We just keep moving forward. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. So, um, after Leadville, um, it's going to be an intense few weeks of recovery because I head to Italy for my brother's wedding. So, um, I will take a pause on taking on new clients for a bit. Um, so, um, you know, if you're looking for coaching, it's going to have to wait until after Wasatch. <laughs> um, I really need, um, just some time to focus on, um, you know, everything that's going on. My kids are starting school, cross country starting, uh, you know, I've got these uh, two trips, Italy and, and then, uh, Utah. So, um, I really, uh, you know, it's just hard to get people on board and get them going, um, in this, uh, this time. So, um, if you're looking for somebody and that timeline fits for you again, after Wasatch, so that would probably be after September, uh, 9th or 10th. Um, you know, so after that, if you want to talk coaching, that's great. But like I said, I, I can't take anybody on in the meantime. Um, just my bandwidth's a little bit shorter right now with everything going on. So, um, you know, stay tuned. Uh, you know, podcast will keep coming. Of course, um, you know, the next podcast will be my recap of Leadville. Um, and then, you know, we'll probably have a, another podcast with Thomas and I looking ahead to Wasatch kind of going through a course preview, talking about, you know, strategies, all that good stuff. Cause that will be the final race of the grand slam. 
So um, fingers crossed, everything goes great at Leadville. Um, I really appreciate all of your support. Um, I, I get to meet everybody that raised funds and some of the, ch- the athletes from the Challenge Athlete Foundation, which I raised funds for for Leadville. Um, together, we raised about $4,700. I was the third highest fundraiser. So that's all thanks to everybody that, that donated. So thank you all so much. Um, really do appreciate you guys. And as always, thank you to my Patreon supporters. Um, we keep this going. I, I thank you if, if you can support on Patreon. Links in the show notes on my website, runningslife.run. Uh, you know, so I really do appreciate all the support you guys provide. You guys are wonderful. And um, again, if you have questions for Peter, the contacts are going to be in the show notes. Um, just you know, something that, to add to your repertoire. Um, it's, it's a nutritional item. So pretty cool. Uh, thank you, Peter, for, again, for the discount code running is life 20, all lowercase running is life. And then the numbers two zero that will be in the show notes as well. So until next time, keep running and keep moving forward, my friends.